Welcome to episode 58 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop, a professional coach and facilitator living in Noosa, Australia. If this is the first time you've joined me, welcome. And if you've been tuned in before, thank you for coming back. People passionate about what they deliver to the world intrigue me and make me want to know what, how and why they do what they do. I choose to surround myself with people who set visions, take risks to do good things in service of others and are kind-hearted, purposeful and wise. Be that in service or in the books they've written, they change lives, including their own. Guests joining me on the Coffee and Contemplation podcast share their personal stories with vulnerability for the benefit of others and for themselves and are people with either or both professional and experiential knowledge of the theme of each episode. Today's guest is Terry Gianetti from Detroit in Michigan, whom I'll welcome in in just a moment. Terry and I had begun comparing three vital question trainer notes back and forth across the globe the day we were placed in a breakout session with a fellow trainer the other week. The three of us could have stayed in that breakout room for the whole hour. It was such a comfortable sharing of quality training and years of experience, tools and all our lessons learnt. And I've really appreciated Terry's generosity sharing her educator tips with me and some workshop exercises that are about maximizing participant engagement. Rather than people sitting in a room and listening, Terry's all about making sure the experience is something that's going to make the lessons and learning stick with people for long term, because that's the point of learning, right? And her lessons work. In that conversation in preparing for today, I snorted in a really unladylike way, both of us having experienced the nun's wrath in our days of Catholic school, circa for me, you know, 1960s and 70s, uh, Terry declared, Susan, nuns teach you how to lie. I went, oh God, yes, didn't they just? So that and more, the line of conversation that Terry and I are going to embrace today. Welcome, Terry. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you for that great introduction. And we really did laugh and have a good time. And I'm looking forward to just speaking with you today. Yeah, it's just a, it's a comfortable conversation and you've got a lovely wealth of information you've shared with me. So we'll see where we can touch on it as we roll through. So I was thinking as we were getting online this morning, I thought, where to start? Terry, I'm thinking by the selection of question ideas that I sent through to you and the ones that you chose, that today's theme really does appear to be a focus on your lifetime career and its origins. So maybe some of the stories about your mother's bravery as a young girl in World War II in Italy and her leaving Italy, carrying a wheel of cheese for some reason to New Jersey. So what do you think? Would that be okay to come along that line? That would be great. <laughs> the start of my life, a wheel of cheese. <laughs> well, would you like to start with a wheel of cheese or shall we just embrace that in our first part where we talk about your whole career being in education so what was your driving force that fueled your contribution to children's education as a teacher school principal and you know mentor to teachers I believe that it was my experiences in the elementary school and my experiences especially in kindergarten and, and I do remember those experiences not all of them obviously but different fragments and I want to be careful how I say this, the way I was treated, but I wasn't treated terrible in elementary school. They didn't know what to do with me because I could not speak English and they didn't have English as a second language, bilingual education. It wasn't their fault. It was just that they didn't know what to do with someone, some little kid who just did her own thing. So when I went to to elementary school, I could not speak English. 
And so all I remember is I figured out how to find clues. So if the teacher would say, Terry, I knew I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> and here's a specific example. The teacher said, Terry, and I was over here just playing with some toys on the shelf. And I thought, I bet I'm doing something wrong. And I turned around and that was all in Italian because I didn't know English. And all the boys and girls were on carpet squares and I was on the other side of the room and I thought, okay, time to move. So I just kind of found my way myself. So continuing that they didn't know what to do to help me out, I was always in the slow group and I would go home and my mother say, would say, how was school today? And I'd say, oh, it's fine, uh, but I'm in the stupid group. And she would say, no, you're not in the stupid group. Oh, yes. She goes, how would you know that you're in the stupid reading group? And I said, because you just know. You just know as a kid that you're in the stupid group. But I really don't care because what can I do? I can't even understand English. And here I am, a little kid saying, everybody at school can, has to learn one thing, how to read. I have to learn two things, how to read and how to understand English. So I said, I'm in the stupid group. So that must have spread to the teachers because they put me in a slow room. At the time, this is just totally unacceptable to use this word. They put me in a retarded room. Oh, my God. It was kind of fun in there, though, because we got to play, and, and you never felt stupid in there. And we did plays, and we did all kinds of activities, engaging things, like I believe now that we need to do with people, schools, adults. Mm. And so that started, and I didn't think that through as a kid, but as I got older. And so I would go back to the regular room, and that's where I was in the stupid group and didn't know what was going on. So I have other stories to tell you. So I'm going to go forward in time to being a principal and giving a talk to an entire student body. The students had a week of You Matter and uh, trying to make everybody feel special, and they wanted the teachers and or administrators to give a talk. And so this was the first time I publicly gave a talk about being in the retarded room. And it was interesting because... I told the kids the reason I became a principal and a teacher was because I wanted to treat kids the way that I think kids should be treated and not make them feel stupid. And I talked through that with them. And then I realized that I also didn't want anybody to be a student in my school where they felt lost and didn't have what I call a spine. For some reason, and I was very careful how I said that to the kids so that nobody was hurt. For some reason, I did have a spine. And it's my job to, what about all the kids who didn't have the strength? I have no idea where I got the strength, but didn't have the strength to say, I'm not gonna be in the retarded room. And I actually made a plan at the age of eight to get out and it worked. There are kids in the school that don't have the strength to stand up when they're younger. And so my vision was I'm going to stand up for all kids and I'm really going to stand up for the kids that need some help with their spine. So that when they leave my school, I will have helped them and modeled for teachers uh, what they should be doing with kids. Because in every profession, principal, teaching, whatever, there are people that shouldn't be there. And yes, and so I just continue to work with teachers and model and even model the fact that sometimes you blow it.
and you just have to say to a student, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. really sorry. We are all human. It's interesting, just as an aside, Tom and I had a conversation about that just this morning. We were having coffee at the river and I was saying to him, it's funny how you can remember things when someone says something like that and it puts you um, into that, that feeling of feeling stupid or you know, mm-hmm. that it's coming from them. It's not mm-hmm. about you, isn't it? Right. You know, so, and it was, as you said, it's not like you had a, a bad experience in elementary school as far as you feel like holistically. But yeah, it's just those moments of one other human being saying something that can impact your life. That's right. And I didn't want to be that human being. I can remember, if I look back, I, there's one student that I think, I didn't make the right decision. It doesn't matter what it is. And, you know, after all these years, I still need to forgive myself for that. Because that's a pretty good track record if you feel like you only maybe lost one, two kids along the way. I didn't reach all of them, but I didn't hurt kids, even when I suspended them. So Okay. You did it with kindness. Mm-hmm. Do you think so, the courage, I'm just saying, okay, so where you said, I don't know where that courage came from. So you're from Italian heritage. Were you born in Italy or no, the U.S.? I was, I was born in uh, New Jersey. New Jersey? And, and that... Um, my mother had come over from from Italy. Her dream was to find the streets paved with gold. Lived in the village. I, having gone there, and we have an old home there, 1649. Oh. And so I know she really had a tough bringing up, uh, you know, coming up and not having a bathroom in the house or not having heat, just a fireplace, et cetera, et cetera. We all have stories like that. But she was determined, and maybe I got some of my determination from her. And she hmm. came over with her brother, and somebody in Italy told her to take a wheel of cheese to these friends in New Jersey. Now, you have to remember, she just came out of World War II. She doesn't know English. She doesn't have a job in New Jersey. They have a job in Detroit at a factory, but they, gotta, they have to stop in, on the East Coast. And she doesn't know any of that, and she's going to find the family well they did they found the family gave her the wheel of cheese come on in have dinner and they well, they stayed the night in the mm-hmm. morning her brother said it's time to go to detroit and she said i'm staying here well an argument ensued and um she stayed and he left and then their son they ended up the, the couple that got the cheese ended up being my grandparents and she married my father Ah, okay. So I always say I came because of a wheel of cheese. (laughs) So it's interesting just listening to that very short journey of what she just did in terms of determination. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. did the same thing. You did do the same thing. You decided what you wanted and where you were going to fit. Where am I going to fit in? And you weren't going to accept less than what you wanted. Thank you for helping me get another aha. I got Mm. the determination from her. Oh, beautiful. She's a tough lady. Beautiful. So. And you did tell me that, I mean, that, that story in about the Gestapo even before she came. That was oh, a bit goosebumpy that, again, oh. she had such courage. My gosh. I'm not sure I would have had that courage. The Gestapo went to her home yeah. Yeah. and asked for her brother, the same brother that she came over with, my other uncle, and put a gun to her head and said, where is your brother? We want him because he can speak German, Italian, he speaks in the numerous language, and we need a translator. Well, if you if you knew our house there, it's level, skinny house, levels, 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 and he was in the house, and he was hiding. And my mother told the Gestapo, he's not here. 
Now, to me, that took courage because if they had found him, well, obviously they didn't, she she would have been shot, I'm sure. And mm. I wouldn't be here talking to you. I'm not no, going to flip it. No. But it's, it's, it's a quick decision. That, to me, was very courageous and took a oh. lot of guts. <laughs> Amazing origins. I imagine you've got a lot more stories we could cover. We could do a whole book on it or something. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I thought we might do is so you, okay, so you've become, you're a principal. Did you teach for a long time before you became a principal? Yes, I taught. Then I had an opportunity to be to be, get some training in being a consultant, and I was going to go back and be a teacher and reading consultant. And one thing led to another, and I ended up as an elementary principal. And I didn't know what to do. I had the degree, but I didn't have the experience. And I remember, I what do I do now? So I got to the school, and, and nobody taught me. So I went outside and waited for the kids to get off the bus and said good morning to them all. And then greeted the teachers, and then they all went to class. I thought, now what do I do? So I thought, hmm, well. And this became something they were used to. And not every morning, but I went around and I opened the door and I said, Hi, morning, I'm Terry Janetti. I'm your new principal. But every day I would come with a different message, or most days. So it became my signature, is to say good morning to everybody. And I really didn't know what I was doing. All I knew was... I wanted it to be right for kids. Mm. To feel they were welcome and greeted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and matted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all mm. about relationships. You need to know how to teach. You need to know the curriculum. You need to be strong in what you do as a teacher and as a principal. You need to be a leader. But when it push comes to shove, it's all about relationships. The kid will walk, go to the wall for you if he or she or they think you're in their corner. Mm, I love it. I love it. I can see too. Then obviously the connection you know, that you've moved through. We'll talk about soon about how you've moved through to be embracing the three vital questions and the TED. That is such a powerful tool to use in relationships and communicating uh-huh. in a more healthy way in your uh-huh. life and at work and at school even I suppose. Hey, so what are we going to talk about now? So what I would like to do is what's one thing that people you work with wouldn't guess about you? Okay. Um... They know that I always have a story and it's always funny. Uh-huh. Um, and I make, if it's not funny, I make sure that it turns out to be fine and funny. It's just <laughs> the way my life happens. Um, so I guess I'll tell you the story about when we were in Africa. And we were at a conference because we were living overseas for six years in the American schools in the Middle East. And we were at a conference and in a big room and, you know, in a hotel and the auditorium. And they were about to start. And I forgot my notebook upstairs. So I was with a friend and my husband and I said, I'll go upstairs. I'll be right back. I went to the room, came back and got in the elevator and the elevator opened and in comes this real petite um, older woman and she had a medallion on and it was of Africa and I had been looking all over Egypt for this medallion and uh, I wanted it so without even thinking I grabbed her necklace and the medallion oh, God. and I said oh where did you get that I love it and she just backed up she backed off and she she said here in Nairobi and, and so I said, oh, I realized that maybe I came on a little bit too strong. So I said to her, okay. I said, I thought maybe I'll ease things over. So I said, so don't you just love Africa? Okay, now that question is significant because 
you see she said yes and then she got off the elevator I thought okay not a very friendly person she went to the left I went to the right maybe I scared her went to sit down <laughs> and and I told my husband and friend and then they introduced the key speaker well you can yes it was the woman on the elevator and it was Jane Goodall. <laughs> I wouldn't say that she's the kind of person that scares easily, but I did frighten her. My husband told me, "Wait, way to go! You was you met and then scared Jane Goodall." And uh, I will never, I will never forget that as long as I live. And they should have taken a picture of me when she came on stage, and I went. Oh, you must be kidding. Oh, by the way, I did find the medallion in Nairobi, so just sharing. Had she gathered herself by the time she got on the stage? She did. You would have never known that she had been accosted in the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) And fairly good chance that she does love Africa. Uh, Fairly good, yes. What was your first clue? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) And... And one of the things that I love to do, because these things do happen, I don't plan them, is to tell stories. And so for teachers and kids, to get them to engage is tell stories. Yeah. It makes it real. It brings, it brings learning alive. I can see kids, I never told them that story, but I can see kids saying, who's Jane Goodall? Tell us more about her. And it's real. They know the story's real. It's not made up. And yeah. what a wonderful way to teach. I was visualizing everything that you were just sharing then, that you walked out of the big room and then you went up the lift and, you know, <laughs> and you accosted Jane Goodall. <laughs> oh, if she ever hears this podcast, I'm sure she's going to say, uh, yeah, I remember that lady. I can't remember her face. but <laughs> She scared the heck out of me. Oh, so, good Lord. Good Lord. So how are you leveraging your decades of experience now and your knowledge and wisdom in the practice that you've got, which is called Synchronicity Consultancy Partnership. Judy Jubitz and I have uh, started this company. You don't need to know. It wouldn't be, it would be boring (laughs) to tell you every detail how we got here. But Judy and I both have a passion to reach kids and adults too in the area of how to not control, but to understand your anxiety and to to make choices to try to um, alleviate some of it. Uh, for example, if we we have taught this to kids that um, about the brain and that when you are nervous and you can't get your breath, you end up forgetting the material that you studied so hard because the front lobe goes offline and you forget everything you studied. So that's just one key that we share with kids. And we also do the workshops with uh, adults because we all have anxiety. And I guess the most important to Judy and myself is we use the symbol of the keys. The keys on a key ring. And we're there as presenters, not because we know it all, not at all, but because we've researched, we've used it ourselves, and we've studied, and now we're gonna give you a bunch of keys. And when you're anxious, you Try to find that key ring on the key ring, the key that will help you unlock the door to help you with that particular anxiety. And uh, Judy does a great job telling the group at the beginning that no matter what, not every key is going to work every time in every situation. And sometimes you can't find any keys and you're ready to just cry. And that's okay too. And so what we don't want you to do is to give up. Always believe in your heart. If you leave this workshop knowing that in your heart 
as long as you have the passion to look for the key that it will unlock that anxiety, frustration for you, that door, then you can overcome it. Even if you have to call somebody and say, I'm at a loss. And, you know, you hear the statistics about kids and adults, too, committing suicide. And I mm -hmm. guess we're not psychologists. We're not trained psychologists. Coaches, yes. And we want to make sure that we give you the hope of one key somewhere out there will help you. That's it. And here's... 20 of them or 30 of them that you can pick from and that is the crux of our training i love that because i mean i'm quite visual so even when you're talking about sets of keys my mind just ran through you know those little keys sets that you give to babies mm -hmm. that they chomp on oh yeah maybe three keys <laughs> and yeah. i thought gosh you might actually need a whole really big ring of keys because it's okay there's going to be another thing that you can try it's not that you've got mm -hmm. you're not you've not got a limitation of keys that you can visualize on your key ring that's right and you don't have yeah. to remember everything no. in fact this just happened two days ago i called i sent judy a text and i said none of the keys are working and she called me and we talked through it none yeah. of them are working i just can't seem to find it and i was having a hard time uh yada 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 now the good part about that is if you tell a group of people kids teachers other groups of adults, parents, if you tell them that story, they realize you're not a guru that knows how to do everything. And then yeah. they don't have to feel badly about not being successful because we tell them we aren't all the time successful. We no. have to forgive ourselves. Mm. It's a beginner's mindset that we're talking 3VQ, isn't it? That it's okay for us mm -hmm. all to come together as we're mutually human beings. Mm -hmm. We don't have to know it all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. So Synchronicity Consultancy, where is your audience? Who are you working with? I know you're talking about the type of people, but where do you, where are you working with them in the States or elsewhere or what? Uh, right now, um, we hope to be face-to-face -face because we've been doing Zoom. And the summer is quiet because, you know, the teachers and kids, aren't, we can't gather them. They're at camp. They're here. They're all over. So um, the schools... We're now, we've geared up and we're doing a lot of conversations with the schools and with special ed group parents and different groups that we're networking. We don't want to do this full time all the time. We just want to reach some people and feel good about what we're doing. So we're mm -hmm. trying to get into some organizations here in our area. But we're excited when you said that we were going to do a podcast. Uh, Judy and I would be more than happy to do uh, Zoom workshops anywhere. Be beneficial to even some of my clients that we can you know, get on the mm -hmm. screen together. It'd be great. Mm -hmm. Have you ever dreamed of doing something important to you, Terry, but your inner critic stopped you? So maybe can we talk about a dream and what got in the way? Because I think a lot of us over these last few years may have experienced the same thing. Yes, because Judy and I have um, had our own voices that tell us that we can't do it. And the more research we did, uh, the voices, we believe, that everyone has these voices that tell you the negative side. So I did some uh, studying of Carl Jung because the word synchronicity, he coined that word. And he also talked about when you have, let's, he talked about depression, but we took it farther and said, if when you have a voice talking to you, telling you can't make it with your dream, that instead of fighting them, and sometimes you need to tell your voice, enough, I'm busy, I'm starting the workshop, I don't want to hear it. 
But there's times when maybe personify them, the voice, mm. have them sit next to you. That's what Carl Jung says. And ask them questions because you might find out why is this voice keep coming back all the time? Maybe they have something to tell you. Mm-hmm. And I have found, that's what finally helped me this week. That was the key I finally found. What are you trying to tell me? And just take okay. the, the breaths and listen to the voice. Has it stopped me? Um, to be honest, no. It ha- it. I don't like to fly, so I've been hypnotized to get over my fear, and I haven't let it stop me. The only thing that has ever stopped me is COVID. Oh, really? And Really. And my husband is surprised, and so I finally listened to the voice of fear. And the fear told me that um, I cannot listen and be bombarded with news. And the news did a number on my head, Mm. but it wasn't the news doing a number. I allowed them. And so now they're talking about monkeypox and this and that and another virus. and And I just say, nope. You're not doing it to me again. I'm no. still working through to get through the rest of my COVID fear. And now that I've found a fear or a voice that has stopped me from being normal, I can understand how the clients or the people in my workshop feel when you're so scared that it stops you. But I, I'm telling that voice, you know, thank you for sharing. <laughs> thank you for telling me. Thank you for talking to me. I am not. It's in my control whether I want that fear there or not. So mm. um, that just happened lately. Okay. So many people are signing up for mental health programs at the moment mm-hmm. to, to get through you know, what we've just experienced. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite extraordinary times, isn't it? It's scary. It's mm. scary that that can happen to the world. I remember when they were they were first telling us that we knew it was overseas, but I remember a doctor friend said, you know, it's coming. I thought, for God's sake, it's not going to come to Australia. It's just been mm-hmm. in, really interesting to watch from an outsider. So, you know, when you can do that third person and yes. just watch what's going on. I try to do it from that way so I can't get caught in my fear. I have to go out there. Good for what you. What is it? Because I was, I was getting caught. My breath got taken away when people here wow. had to close their businesses. I think, what? Mm-hmm. It was just insane for me to be seeing that happening. Yes, you know? and I don't want anybody to think that I'm discounting how serious COVID was before the vaccines, no. et cetera. And I am not an anti-vaxxer, just the opposite. But yeah. but to have to step back and to see that voice of fear take my life over is unacceptable. And yeah. I have this much left of my life, this much, this much, I don't know. But I am not going to let that happen to me again. No, no. I've got a feeling you're going to live your life fully from what mm-hmm. I've heard from your travel experiences. So how about we move on to the nuns? Okay. So we've got the nuns and then we're going to actually roll out. We're very close to the end. We're going to then finish off with your sing out loud song and a bit of a mantra to, to close out. So we reminisced on our mutual experience of being raised in the Catholic faith, whether we embraced mm-hmm. it or not, or whether our families embraced it or not. I think I was sharing what it was like in my experience was, you know, it was like basically it was a win-lose situation a lot of days and you had to work out how to do a win-win with a nun. When they were eyeballing you and they had their, their ruler <laughs> and they had the, the metal stripped down the side. 
you know, you think, yes. oh my gosh, and that was acceptable. So, yeah, so you said nuns teach you how to lie. So, how about you give us some, a bit of fun and talk about some of the, okay. the things that you that you could read in a nun so you could change it to your benefit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will, and I'm going to start by saying that. I, I would go to the wall to, to fight for anybody to have the right to have, to practice their religion, yeah. to the wall. I grew up Catholic. I, we lived in Saudi Arabia for six years, and then I went and worked in an Orthodox Jewish school. So I feel like I can go to the UN next, but I respect all religions. However, my experience has been, I was going to be, I don't think you know this, Susan, I told my mom I was going to be a nun when I was in elementary school, and she laughed. Um, she said I'd never make it. So I didn't understand because I was very, very religious. And then I get to high school and 10th grade, the first day, the nun calls me down to the office. Terry Denetti to the office. Okay, I'd never been in a public school, been called down to the office. I was a pretty good kid. And so I get to the office and I don't need to go through why she lambasted because my mom had changed the uniform and she asked me do you want me to call your mother and tell her she's defamed the uniform you have or should you and I thought about it I thought hmm I think you should call her because (laughs) I wasn't going to get into that but the other you know then I'm there and I learned how to play the game so here's a good kid that you know I get called again Terry Gennetti to the office. That was the next year. And so I must have done, just like, I just had a aha, just like when I was in kindergarten, I must be doing something wrong. I wonder what it is this time. And I went to the office and she said, you know, makeup, eye makeup is not acceptable. And she says, you have dark circles under your eyes. And I said, I knew it was eyeliner. So she taught me how to lie. So I looked at her and I said, oh, that sister. Oh, no, 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 no. I've been studying so hard. That's the circles under my eyes. She went, oh, okay, okay. And I left. I thought, okay, this nun just taught me how to lie. And and I couldn't believe it. That's not what you should learn from your religion. And when I got to college, I recentered my core values, and that's not who I am now. But, but they did. I had to learn how to adapt and play their game. So yeah. And closing that out, that was interesting because I think what interested me when we had our chat the other week was you said that your mission as a principal was to find that balance in the middle, and maybe that's what you know that probably contributed towards mm-hmm. that. That you know that mm-hmm. you were trying to actually um, be the mentor of that. Um, being balanced Mm -hmm. and centered so maybe just we'll finish off with that so what did that mean to be balanced in the middle would be it's like when I used to tell my teachers you gotta love your kids like they're your own you're the parent you love your kids and you love your classroom kids and the reason you're not parenting them but you should love them like you love your kids and at the same time just like your own kids you should be able to be strict with them and tell them this was a choice that wasn't good and this is the consequence. So there's that balance of love and consequence and bringing it together in the middle. And we forget that sometimes. Mm. Well, that's a very beautiful way to end that part of our chat. So how about the two things that I don't know about you is what's your favorite sing out loud song that you would sing in the car? Oh, that's a good question. The one that's going through my head now, I don't know. I'm not a very good singer. Um, <laughs> Dancing in the Streets by oh, Martha yes. Reese. <laughs> yes, that's a good Call one. It out. Yeah. Okay, and your go-to mantra or affirmation to get you through a challenge? Feelings just are. 
They're not good. They're not bad. And always talking to my voice and telling it to be either quiet, please be quiet, or tell me what I need to know. But right now, leave me alone. Oh, it's a unique one. Is it your one? Mm-hmm. I made that up. Yeah, beautiful. That's very beautiful too. We've come to the end, Terry. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to get to understand the origins that fueled your passion for education and your plans for synchronicity consulting. Congratulations too for delivering your gift of education to what you know must be thousands of young people you've taught and the teachers you've mentored and just thinking about all the communities you've worked in, both in the US and abroad. What an enormous ripple effect of positivity and change for the good that you have had and are still making or contributing to them and to the world. So thank you. Thank you, Susan. I'll end by saying that makes me feel wonderful because ever since I was a little kid and even when my husband and I got married, I said, I want it. I, I want to and I need to change the world. And as I look back, I think I didn't change the world. And he said to me, yes, you did. One person at a time. For sure. So you said that, that touched my heart. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. I just sort of feel like, you know, you look at a teacher and you, what your your mission has been, you think, wow, by talking to that one child, you know, the impact on even that child's siblings and on their family and then on their future generations, like it can only do good to come across the way you have. Thank you. Mm. Listeners, Terry's story made me reflect on Michelle Obama's words. When we share our stories, we are reminded of the humanity in each other. When we take the time to understand each other's stories, we become more forgiving, more empathetic, and more inclusive. Terry and I embraced the relaxed sharing of stories these past few weeks, interested to understand each other a little more as global friends and as peers in bringing stories into the work we both do as Three Vital Questions trainers with the Centre for the Empowerment Dynamic in the States. The transcript of today's conversation will be shared on my website as usual within coming days and via my LinkedIn profile. So if you're a person who likes to read an article versus only just listening to podcasts, that will be there. And as usual, I'll just finish with I'm forever grateful uh, for the people who come and allow me to understand them more and to share their stories. I learn from each interaction I have with the uh, people who've been on the show. If you would like to join me as a guest to talk about your dreams, your interesting life journey, or how you've changed lives, please reach out and chat. You can find all my details on my website, www.susandunlop.com.au. So trust that you are blessed even when you forget that you are blessed. Take care of yourself, and I look forward to being back soon. Bye for now.